0: You're listening to the Coaching Your Family Relationships Podcast, Episode 65, The Pyramid of Influence with Brent Bartell, Part 1. Did you know the strength of the connection in your family relationships is one of the biggest measurements of your overall life satisfaction and happiness? But family relationships can be so tricky. I'm your host, Tina Gosney, a family relationship coach. I'm here to help you navigate through the tricky parts of your family relationships. When you work on you, everything begins to change. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so glad to have you here. This episode will air on October 13th. And today, on October 13th, I am holding one of my breathing classes for the month. If you aren't signed up for the one today, there's no worries because I have three more dates that you can sign up. That's October 18th, the 20th, and the 26th. Those will all be held at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. It's actually less than an hour. It's probably like a 45-minute class. So it's not a huge time commitment. And if you can't attend at 11 a.m., no worries because there will be a replay that's sent out. So you'll still be able to watch it later. Now, why do you want to do this breathing class? Partly because it will help you learn how to do the things that Brent and I outline in these this podcast today. We talk about slowing down, about becoming more responsive and less reactive. Working on a breathing practice, an intentional breathing practice, helps you do that. It helps you manage your stress. It helps you... Recover more quickly when you get triggered by something that is upsetting in your life. Those little ones that we encounter every day and the big ones, it just helps you have more resilience in your own life. And you know what else breathing does is it really helps you to feel more grounded. So if you are not signed up for my breathing class, I want you to go to the show notes, sign up for one of those dates, October 18th, the 20th, or the 26th. And make sure you're getting in on this breathing class because I won't be offering this for a while. This is the last ones that I'll be offering for a while. Now I do want to introduce you today to my brother-in-law, Brent Bartel. And I do give a more detailed introduction in when we get into the podcast and I'm talking to Brent. But I just want to let you know that Brent is one of my favorite people. And one of the things I love about him is that he loves big words. And this is something that we all, the whole family loves about Brent. We don't always understand what he's saying, but he is a wordsmith. He just loves big words and he has learned them and applies them and understands them. And so I just want to prepare you for that and you're going to come to love him too. You might want to just maybe pause once in a while and get out of dictionary <laughs> because he is just such a wordsmith. And the, our discussion was so long on this podcast that I did divide it up into two different sections. So you're going to find part one and part two of the same discussion and be looking out for the next in the series when we start talking more about the next levels of the pyramid of influence from Stephen R. Covey. So enjoy this podcast with Brent and I will see you in part two. Okay, I'm here today with Brent Bartell, and Brent and I, full disclosure, are related by marriage. We are married to two siblings. So he's married to the sister. I'm married to the brother, and we've been in each other's lives for more than thirty years now. We know each other pretty well. And I think Brent is one of probably one of the most insightful, uh, educated, just um, amazing people that I've known. In my life, and it's been a blessing to have him there. And I wanted to share him with the podcast, with all you there listening in the podcast, so that you can start to get to know him, because I'm going to have him on again. This is not our only talk, and he's prepared for that. So, Brent, would you want to introduce what else would you want to say about yourself here after I've sung your praises already?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And that is utterly overstated, but I I appreciate your kindness. Um, I'm really thrilled to be here. So this is my sort of maiden voyage on podcast, and I'm just hoping I don't break your podcast today.
0: <laughs> no, no actually, worries
1: about that. You know, I actually do get invited back, but yeah, this is really exciting for me. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm a family guy. That's probably most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am married to your sister-in-law. Those Gosneys produced some really good kids, didn't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, I have four children and then two sets of twins And that's a really sort of interesting story for another time. Mm -hmm. Just retired after 34 years in higher education, I worked in the realm of police management and and organizational and leadership development. Um, I was a Franklin Covey facilitator there within my college district for probably 23 years did a lot of other kind of facilitation and personal professional development work, which I really enjoy very much. Um, I'm a hopeless exerciser. I have a hundred pound tortoise. I ride a motorcycle, <laughs> and You've uh, got all
0: sorts of interesting things going on in your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I live a really, I live a really great life. I really do.
0: Yeah, you just got certified for coaching.
1: Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, I went through uh, the coach firm. It's called the Mind Firm Method. Um, I, I love it. I think it's a really robust model of coaching. I call it curricular coaching. Mm-hmm. So, we actually do have lesson plans and and sort of a developmental framework that kind of builds upon itself. Um, so I'm excited. Yeah, I'm in the process of business formation right now, and mm-hmm. I've got a couple clients we're working with. And this is going to be my next great uh, my next great adventure. So
0: yeah, yeah, the second half of life,
1: yes, absolutely.
0: okay. so we, when we were talking about what to t- to discuss today, I really wanted to talk about some of your work with Stephen R. Covey as far as like being a facilitator and what you use to um, help other people, leadership and development, those types of things. And like how do we approach that, those same type of principles and apply them to family relationships and so Brent really um, pulled out. He said, let's talk about the pyramid of influence. So he likes that model. Tell us more about the pyramid of influence. Uh, the pyramid of influence.
1: Yeah, I, I love that stuff. You know, and probably some of your listeners aren't, aren't terribly familiar with Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. Um, he died some years ago. I think he was 80 at the time, but has written some of the most influential books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People became just this monolithic work in terms of personal and and, um, personal development and relational developments and so many other books sort of emanated from that seminal work and um, anyway it's changed my life in some really profound ways but there's so much you could talk about in this context but within one of the chapters of a book he wrote called principle-centered leadership came out in the early 90s after the seven habits. He has a model, he says it's the model of influence and it's it's in the form of a pyramid and got a few little words on it. And the implications I think are really, really significant because we all want to have influence. And, and I think we define it sort of as this capacity to have a positive effect upon the character uh, and the development of the behavior of, of someone or something. Mm -hmm. So we all want to have influence, particularly in our intimate relationships. And I think we often struggle to know exactly how to do that. And not just do that, but do it in ways that really build and strengthen the relationship in sustainable ways. I mean, we can influence through compulsion or perhaps coercion or even violence or duplicity, deceit, lots of ways. But we're talking about influence through principle-centered methods So I really appreciate the model of influence um, and the many suggestions that he made about how we develop greater influence within these relationships, be them personal or be them public. Can we Um,
0: pause just there for just a second? And the influencing through, you said coercion and trying to control and manipulate, or you named some words there. Um, I think that that's our, if we're not careful, that's exactly where we go to as like yeah. a low hanging fruit. It seems like the easiest thing to do to try to influence a change in person, someone as far as like their, what they're doing or the direction that they're going. That's something that we try, a, a method that we try to influence by, but I've seen that type of influence, trying to exert that kind of influence actually is More costly in the long run because it's costly to the relationship. Anytime you are trying to exert that kind of influence on somebody, you're sacrificing something else down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really salient point. And there's no doubt about it. I think for a lot of us, we have certain sort of arrows, you know, in our quiver, if you will, in terms of human influence. I know for me, I would often start out with say reasoning or persuasion. You know, mm-hmm. try to make sense of something. And then maybe I try to exhibit some patience. I mean, that's a form of influence, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then maybe default to fight or flight or evoke my formal or positional authority. Well, because I'm the dad. We just do this because I say we do it. You okay. know? And I typically didn't lead with that, but often yeah. ended up there. And like you said, there's other, lots of different other forms of influence. and And I think we borrow strength from our position, from our formal authority and things like that. And exercising those methods of influence generally are very counterproductive in the sense that it erodes our influence. And we may get short-term returns. Yes. If I threaten, if I yell, if I this, if I that, be it in the workplace, be it in the home place, I may get compliance. But like you observe, at what cost do I get that compliance? Mm Mm-hmm. Because anytime I think we violate principles, there's always a cost to be paid. And often it's, it's, in the, it's in the quality and the nature of the relationship. So everything we talk about today is within this context of how do we make our relationships richer and more mutually satisfying and more beautiful? And, right. and, we, and we can only get there through positive methods of influence where we are actually having an influence on the individual and contemporaneously we're building the relationship and we're growing the relationship. Yes.
0: And yes. when we talk about them, I think it's going to be just like, oh yeah, of course that's would build a relationship and build more influence. But it's not usually where our brain goes when we're frustrated trying to get some compliance in the moment. We tend to forget those things. So I think it's going to be great to re- just kind of go through this pyramid and see what are the things that we need to be aware of and make sure that we have in place. And there's a certain order to this pyramid too. Let's go over like the order and we can put a link to the show notes so people can see a visual of what we're talking about as we talk about it. But there is an order on purpose to the levels of this pyramid.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think Stephen Covey was brilliant in many, in many areas, but one of them was his understanding of sequence and kind of causation, cause effect relationships, even his seven habits, are meticulously sequenced in such a way that it sort of mirrors the process of human growth and development. So, yeah, he did the same thing here. Um, and like I, like you said, this is, this is not um, earth moving at all. I mean, it's pretty common sense, but like we say, common sense is not always common practice. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I like to use in my coaching this model of just a learn, apply, and then we reflect. Mm-hmm. And it's purported that Aristotle, I did not know the gentleman, but he said something to the effect of to know and not to do is not to know. So it's really not so much, well, yeah, I know this stuff. It's like, well, to what degree are we applying this stuff? to a beneficial end. And it's not ever just we apply it or we don't, there's a long continuum of application. And hopefully we're continually getting better and being more mindful. Um, So yeah, so let's get into this. So the pyramid, as one would expect, is in the shape of a big triangle, a pyramid. I like just kind of that visual of a pyramid. They're very sturdy, They're, they're very grounded, they're practically immovable. I look this up. The pyramid of Giza weighs nearly six million tons. It's a really big pyramid.
0: <laughs> six million that tons. That pyramid
1: is probably not blowing over in a storm. <laughs> right. So I, I like I like the visual. And the pyramid is divided up sort of horizontally in three levels. Um, the first level, well, and let me just say that. So within each level, then there's methods to leverage or develop greater influence within that particular level. So he has 30 methods of influence and fair enough, we're not gonna talk about 30 today, but um, then there's about eight or 10 within each of the levels that he explains helps us to develop um, influence within that level of the model. So the bottom the foundational level of the model is to model by example. And this is what other people see. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, what you ring so loudly in my ears, I cannot hear what you say. Mm -hmm. So the middle level of the model would be to build caring relationships. And this is essentially what other people feel. And the mantra here is they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And then the, the peak or the top of the model would be to mentor by teaching, telling, explaining, etc. So these would be overt attempts to influence. Often we start there, and this is what other people. This is what others hear. So essentially, bottom level, model by example, what others see. Middle level, building caring relationships, what others feel, and then the top part of the um, in or the pyramid would be overt attempts to influence and what others hear. So I think if we have alignment and congruence within those three categories, we expand our ability to teach. Um, Sometimes I think we try to teach, tell, explain, persuade at that top level, we've not done the work in the lower levels of the pyramid to be really effective and have real credibility. So at times our teaching telling is at odds with our doing and being. And obviously, if there is a disconnect there, people people tend to believe what we are doing and what we are being over what we are saying or what we are telling.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's pretty common sense, I think. So I thought just for a few minutes today, we could just explore four methods. I think there's like eight methods um, he explains within that bottom level. Of the pyramid, but I thought that we could maybe just take four.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going to do a deep dive around those.
0: Is there a reason you chose these four?
1: Um, you know, I'm probably a little biased, I suppose. I, yeah. I think these are fun- foundational and fundamental. I think they're all really important. And, you know, we'll link it. Your readers can read it for themselves. But I think these four are very foundational in terms okay. of how I show up and yeah. who I am being and how that allows me to have influence with the people around me.
0: Good, okay. Yeah. Let's dive right. into this. Number yeah. one.
1: Number one, so choose the proactive response. I think proactive and, and reactive have kind of become part of the American lexicon and we understand these terms pretty well. So if we are a human being, which I assume most of your listeners are, we have a gap between what we know and what we do. And I think the gap contracts or expands based on our ability to choose our response deliberately and by design and not by default or by conditioning and scripting and those kinds of things. So essentially, if I respond to stimulus in my life based on moods or physical feelings um, or conditions, environment, then I am being reactive. If I respond more from a place of personal values or perhaps a vision of who I want to be or a deep resolve, I am being proactive. So essentially, can can things like mood or physical feelings, conditions, environment influence to some degree how we respond? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Um, But we intentionally decide what influence we give those things. And I think it's important to recognize there is a huge difference between our response being influenced and our response being determined. It's interesting, in the seven habits, Stephen talks a little bit about sort of determinism. And I think that became very popular for a time. It's very convenient because if I'm determined by things in my life, I can sort of absolve myself a little bit from responsibility, right? He talked about like...
0: Like, I don't have any responsibility here. This is just the way I am, or this is my background. And so I don't have any ability to control like my future. Is that what do you mean? What do you mean by determinism? Let's
1: take a look at what that means
0: a little further.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot, there's different typologies to look at this, but he called out just three specifically like genetic determinism. Okay. So you kind of get that from your grandparents. It sort of comes through the DNA and the genetic code. Um, well, this is just the way Bartels are. I mean, you know, we've always been this way and and that kind of thing. So I'm less responsible because I have certain genetic inclinations. One of them was psychic. And that's kind of the way we were raised. I mean, all of us have this 25,000 hour, you know, parenting seminar as we were being raised by yeah. by our parents or by a parent or grandparents, you know, whatever it might be. And clearly, okay. we are Okay,
0: I've never heard it called a twenty-five thousand hour seminar, <laughs> as far as like training to be a parent by watching what happens in your home. And watching right, that is a little bit um, weighty as a parent to think that my kids were sitting in a seminar watching me as they <laughs> were growing up, and that was how they learned to be a parent.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it is. It's both. It's both beautiful and really frightening at the same time. Yeah. Um, and clearly we are profoundly influenced, but again, we're not determined. But if mm-hmm. I believe that I am determined, oh, this is the way my dad was. I mean, I, I don't want to be this way, but this is just the way I am, or this is what I saw, or this is how we disciplined in my home, or this is how we dealt with conflict. Right. You know, those kinds of things. And then the of the last one was environmental. You know, we can be influenced certainly by things in our environment. Um, I, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. You know, and once upon a time, they had 33 straight days of rain. I live in Arizona now. You know, we have three days of rain and we're all laying around in the fetal position. <laughs> yes. Not quite sure what to do with our lives. So, I mean, they get seasonal affective disorder. It's a very real thing, you know, because you don't see the sun for a long time. So yeah. so envir- environment can influence us in all kinds of ways. But again, if we cede our power over to, I don't have a choice. I'm determined by this. Then we become very reactive, obviously, and not proactive. And and that's kind of what we're going for here.
0: Right. So how do you become, how do you move from a person who is less reactive and more proactive? I think I've talked about that a lot on the podcast recently, but I want to hear your take on what what is that process look like for you? What would you say to someone?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's the meat of this, obviously, this conversation.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I think by by choosing, and when I say choosing, I'm including the things that we can't see, like our thoughts and our feelings, and the things we can see, of course, like behaviors. So choosing the productive response is made easier when we slow down a bit or when we slow down a lot. And I've heard you talk about this. I really like it when you talk about kind of slowing down our models and creating space, because a lot of what we're gonna talk about is about creating space sort of in our models between stimulus. So this is what happens to us and our response, You know how we respond to what is happening to us. So the more space that we can create, the more freedom um, to choose in alignment with our values and our priorities. I think it was John Whittier, Um, I love poetry. He said, of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. And I know when I react rather than act in that space between stimulus and response, I have more of those might have been moments. I I get a lot of those kind of woulda, coulda, shoulda"s in that space.
0: I think that's the humanness in us though. Because I know that you've worked very hard on being proactive and not reactive, but still as hard as you've worked, there's not going to be a hundred percent of the time that you are a proactive person and not reacting.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what, Tina? I get it wrong all the time. Um, And I don't know if it's about getting wrong. I just, I learn from it. And like I said, I think there's sort of gradients of proactivity too. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a really a destination. I don't think I'm ever going to get to a point in my life and say, you know what? Let's have a party because Brent is, you know, perfectly proactive now. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not going to happen. But as we evolve and we're mindful and we direct our own change, we become much better at that. And we find that our emotional lives change. Things affect us much less so absolutely we are all a work in process for sure and and this takes time it's like building a muscle i think it takes awareness and it takes practice and we're really all human becomings, um and we miss the mark like i said occasionally and we miss the mark often i love that yeah. nelson mandela quote he said i never lose i win or i learn Mm -hmm. So for most of us, there's lots of opportunities to learn. I think there's an amazing principle in life that just says learn from living. And it's amazing how often life wants to teach me things. And it's equally amazing how often I don't learn lessons. Yeah. So if I'm just working on learning from some of these things um, and incorporate that learning, it really becomes an amazing adventure trying Mm -hmm. to develop sort of my proactive self so to your question, I think a lot of it is creating space and being able to slow down. When, when my first set of twins were little, two and a half, three maybe, we wanted to each kind of a stop, think, do model. Well, three-year-olds cognitively probably just aren't the bad place, you know, but anyway, we were well-intentioned parents. And we taught them they have a pause button and it's right in the middle of their foreheads. And when they were feeling really angry and when they had strong feelings or when they were sad, they could push that button and we could slow down a little bit and kind of think about things. Um, it was exacerbated by one of our twins was a biter. She was the little twin. And that yeah. was her, e- yeah, that was the great equalizer. She was like a tiny T-Rex, you right. know, storming through the house. And so we did a lot of sort of finding our pause button and not biting our sister kind of thing. Um, And it was funny, they sort of got it. I mean, And we worked on that. And I saw it even with these little kids, that they were able, particularly over time, to better understand their own feelings and how I can stop, I can create some space there. One of our challenges was they always wanted to push their sister's pause button. Of course. (laughs) If their sister wasn't doing something they liked, they went for their pause button. Yeah. we, We redirected often, but yeah. But I think it was powerful in that even, even little people can start to sort of embrace this and create space. Well, Stephen, in this, Go ahead. Go ahead, please.
0: Well, I, I love that because even three-year-olds, when you made them aware that they were able to do it, were able to start getting some of that space. Yeah. How often are we not even aware that that is something that's available to us? Because no one's ever told us that. That you can yeah. slow down, you can stop being reactive. There are things that you can do that will help you to slow down and be more aware of what's happening inside your body and your brain that will help you to deal with the things that are hard right now. Yes. I think that's good yes. that you taught it with such a, a visual for a, a just at that three-year-old level, like a button in the middle of your forehead. That's great. Yeah. We yeah. all need a button in the middle of our foreheads to just... Hey, let me stop right now. Let me push my button.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? And I still, I still have my pause button and, and probably need to use it a little more often than I do. Sometimes I think we just think that creating space um, or pausing is just about time. Okay, I'm putting myself in time out. I'm gonna walk mm-hmm. out of the room. I just need some time and then I'll come back and be a little better. Beautiful. But I think there's more to it than that. So if we think about the space between stimulus and response, Dr. Covey talked about four human endowments. Um, these reside in the space. They're gifts. Sometimes we use them a lot and sometimes not so much. Let me go through them real quick though. Okay. The first one was self-awareness. And just recognizing, like you said, what am I thinking right now? And how is this producing certain feelings? And what behaviors is that going to lead to? And so we're not our thinking. We can think about our thinking. We can think about our feelings. And we can stand back. Um, It's such a beautiful gift. The second one would be imagination. And that allows us, that resides in the space. So I can imagine being something that maybe I'm not currently being. I don't have to work from memory to just reproduce my past. I can work from imagination and imagination is limitless and we're so good with it when we're five and six and sometimes we uh, that gift becomes a little dormant as, as we grow older, but it's so critical to be able to imagine a desired state, create that sort of mentally and then live into that. The third one was conscience. And that just helps us align with our value system, you know, to live um, congruently and in an aligned sort of way. And the last one was just independent will, that um, we can be independent of conditions or circumstances or other people's opinions of us, that kind of thing. So if you took all four of those kind of human endowments, human capacities, Mm -hmm. and you sort of you know, just focused on developing, you know, um, in those areas, I think the change can be really profound. And what it does for me, at least, it really starts to create that space. And then we become transition figures. You know, we see people transitioning from very difficult circumstances or environments um, and overcoming and becoming very different. The opposite of that would be Say what we call a transmission figure. Maybe we transmit negative tendencies from one generation to the to the next. But you know, history is replete with beautiful examples of people that are sort of these transition figures. And I hope we have those people in our lives. I suspect many of your viewers are those very people. That we are all transitioning from certain disempowering things and trying to be more in our own life. I. I previously worked with a young man who grew up in a very dysfunctional home. And I suspect all of our homes are just a little bit dysfunctional, but he had a difficult relationship with his father. Um, there was some violence in the home. and he was he was very austere. And so fast forward many years. and now, you know, he had that twenty five thousand hour parenting seminar, and now he's got a baby and a toddler and trying to figure out, well, how does this work? And we kind of worked in that space that for him, working just from memory and duplicating some of the patterns of the past was not effective for him because it's not how he necessarily wanted to show up as a father. So now we have to work from more from imagination and from a place of conscience and self-awareness. Well, how do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And let's live into this new reality. And you can certainly do that. So he's becoming a transition figure in really beautiful ways. Sort of by using those endowments, slowing down, creating space, you know, in that model um, and monitoring progress.
0: Yeah. Sometimes for a lot of people, I've noticed the hardest part is just the very first moment of stopping. Yes. Of not being the reactive, like gut reaction. Um just like immediately reacting, but it's the very moment of deciding to stop and slow down before that reaction comes. Right. And I really think that, that that one of the things that plays into that is how practiced are you at slowing down? How many times have you tried to maybe go into self-awareness or into imagination or, you know, some of these things that we're talking about today? How often have you been aware of the things that are going on for you, and the more practiced you are at practicing those four things that you just outlined, the easier it becomes then to say, oh, I'm going to pause for a second. Maybe I need to like take a step back and look at what, what else can happen here. And that's really a nervous system that's more, I talk about this in my breathing class that I'm doing. This is an yeah. o- that I'm doing in October, but it's showing like a more toned nervous system. Mm -hmm. being able to be more um, intentional in your proactive responses than reacting to the things that are going on around you in the moment.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. And you're right. It does take practice and it does take repetition. Maybe you write the four endowments down and you think about it in those moments. And, you know, I ask myself the question like, well, how do I want to show up right now? What is the best version of Brent right now? Mm-hmm. And that always slows things down for me. You know, you know?
0: Yeah. Another question that I like to ask myself when I'm in that space of already slowing down. You know, I, Maybe I've been talking to someone and it's not going well and I just need to take a step back. And I like to ask myself, okay, what does this person need right now? Yeah. They don't need me to keep pulling on this rope and trying to get them to believe what I want them to believe or to think the way I want them to think. But maybe I can just take a step back, let go of the rope and ask them, like ask myself, what do they need from me right now? Or what looks the most like love in this situation right now? And I have found that really helpful for myself. And I think it's it's kind of the same thing that you were said, like what's the best version of Brent right now? Mm-hmm. I think it's just like a different way of raising a question that gets you probably to the same answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that though because it's it's outward focused and you're focusing on the needs of the other person. And you, you develop this increasing sense of equanimity, that's kind of a big word, but just this sense of kind of you're settled, you're poised, um, you're not reactive, you know, you're, you're not buffeted about. There's a stability about you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so much self-confidence, you know, comes from that sort of thing, too, when you can operate in that space and you just feel this sense of really control over your own life. Yes. It's really powerful.
0: And I think, like you said, it gives you feel more, you feel more stable in who you are. Like you can have a whirlwind going on around you, a tornado going on around you, but you just feel... Planted and firm and rooted where you are.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I love that. I I, I call it, you know, um, a deep reservoirs of sort of still water, you know, mm-hmm. within our soul. But you can have a lot of surface storms, but down deep, you know, you're calm and you're still and, and you're centered, and yeah, and you can act with integrity in in these circumstances. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Absolutely. Do we have anything else that we haven't gone over with proactive response?
1: You know, that's a lot of stuff there, so. There is. Yeah, why don't we move on to the next okay.
0: one? Okay, yeah, let's do the next one. Okay, I hope you have enjoyed part one of the Pyramid of Influence with Brent Bartell. I'm sure that you could tell that Brent knows his stuff when it comes to Stephen R. Covey and the principles that he taught. I invite you to go to part two and hear the rest of our discussion. We'll see you there.